We're going to pick up the story of Elijah. Uh, I think this is the fifth week uh, that we've been doing out of seven uh, weeks that we're doing Elijah. And we're getting into one of the, um, I guess you could say maybe one of the more famous um, uh, stories or situations that Elijah's in. And uh, it's uh, an interesting topic to, to look at for a lot of reasons. And we're going to kind of jump right into it because I got a lot to say tonight. So I hope you got your listening ears on because we got a lot to go through here with, um, with the story of Elijah. When we, you know, just to kind of catch us up to speed, Elijah has, has shown up and um, has told Ahab that there's going to be a famine and a drought in land for three years. Um, or until, I'm sorry, until he said that there were no longer be a, a famine or drought. And then he, is, he leaves and goes and he's hid by God and he's taken care of by God. Um, first of all, he's at a brook in which he's taken care of where the ravens feed him and he has the brook. And then he is uh, taken care of by a widow um, at uh, Zarephath. And we get to this point now where Elijah is getting ready to go and confront Ahab again. And we'll start in chapter 18, and we're going to read uh, just verses 1 and 2 right now um, and kind of go from there. So after many days, this is chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, so that's the third year of the famine, the drought, saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now, very first thing that I just want to point out here, very simple thing, uh, but something that we shouldn't overlook about what happens here is the word of the Lord came to Elijah and told him to do what? Told him to go. What did Elijah do? He went. It's a very simple thing here that happens, but I don't think it's something that should be overlooked. When he was told to go, he went. Now, Elijah's a man of faithfulness. He's a man that, uh, that has trust in God, and we're going to see that even more as we, we go through here. But just that simple little thing right there, when God told him to go, he went, uh, speaks to the faith that Elijah had uh, the confidence uh, that he has in uh, God. And he went to show himself to Elijah, uh, excuse me, to Ahab. And as he goes to leave, uh, to go to Ahab, now let's keep in mind that there's been a drought for three years. Um, he is going to be going to, to see a man who is very angry with him uh, as we'll see here in just a second. Um, and he is, the situation that he's walking into is not going to be a very simple one. It's not going to be an easy one that he's going to have to deal with. And again, even the journey there, can you imagine what it must have been like after three years of drought and famine with the walk through to, to get to where Ahab was must have been like with probably rotting carcasses you know, no water, the dry, the desolation, the destruction that there must have been that he would have to go through just to, to reach Ahab. And 
as he is on his way to see Ahab, he runs into um, a man named Obadiah. Um, and this is in, in verses uh, 3 through 16. And we're not going to go and we're not going to read through all these. But when he encounters Obadiah, um, Obadiah is a man who uh, works for Ahab. He's a servant of Ahab, but he's one that follows God. And Obadiah had been, um, had basically performed a function for uh, a group of prophets, of, of God's prophets, and that he hid them in two different caves. So he was aware of the danger that was there for those that followed God. And Elijah runs into Obadiah. Obadiah is actually out with Ahab. They're both um, out looking for water so that they can feed, uh, so they can grow some grass, so they can feed some animals, so they can maybe have some food, they can maybe take care of the people. The situation was, was really, really bad that, uh, that the people were dealing with. And he runs into Obadiah. And Obadiah, Elijah is going to tell Obadiah that he wants to see Ahab, right? And Obadiah kind of gives him a warning, which Elijah probably already knew to a certain degree. Hey, this guy is not very happy with you. And if I go to talk to him and you don't show up, he can't find you or you don't see him, he's going to kill me for talking to you and, and suggesting that, I c that you're going to see him. Um, and I love what happens with uh, Elijah here. Um, if you've been, if you've listened to any of these lessons, then you will know this about Elijah. He's kind of a pretty brash, confident guy. Um, and of course, he finds that confidence in God, right? He is a follower of God. He is committed to his follower to following God. And so that's where he gets that confidence from. Um, but he says to Obadiah, you tell Ahab, I will be here, right? He shows up, I will be here. Says in verse uh, 15, um, and Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts live before whom I stand, I will surely show him, show myself to him today. So there was certainly um, Elijah's presenting himself as a man committed to following God and a man who is not intimidated to go see his enemy, right? To go and confront his enemy. Now, obviously, he knew that he had God with him, right? But he was someone that was not intimidated by man. He was not fearful of that man that he was going to go see. And that continues in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now here's Elijah showing up in front of a king who the first thing that he says to him is he calls him the troubler, right? This is basically Ahab 
placing the blame for what has happened, the drought and the famine, on Elijah. So you're the cause of this. Um, I saw some commentary that also said that the, the word that used there could also be a word that is synonymous with snake or viper, right? It's almost like, oh, there's that snake in the grass. There's that one, right, that's causing all that trouble. And Elijah, to the king, who wanted to kill him, who was angry with him, says, nope, it's not me, it's you. It's you and your sin. It's you and, and those in uh, your father's house because you have uh, disobeyed the commandments of the Lord and followed the bells. So the first thing that I, I think I want to see point out here, and I've got some, some points, uh, uh, six different things that I want to point out here to you. And um, I have also been somewhat afflicted with some Russell Howard syndrome and that all of these have some alliteration. So, uh, so hopefully it's easy to follow along with. But the, the first thing that we see is the power of faith. The power of faith. Here is Elijah going to this man in this situation and telling him exactly what the situation is and not being intimidated of him, right? Because of the faithfulness and the confidence that he has in God. Right? And I, I thought about that um, for us today, how easily it can be for us to be intimidated by someone else that may not even be our enemy, maybe family, maybe friends, loved ones, coworkers, and yet approaching them and speaking to them about God and speaking to them about the gospel can be intimidating, right? I think we can all agree with that. I think that we can all admit that we are guilty of that. But yet, we need to understand that with God behind us, with God with us, right? His power, His, uh, uh, the, His ability to work in people is the thing that should bring us confidence, the thing that should, that should make us willing to go to people and confront with the gospel and share the gospel, right? That's the power of faith is it allows us to have that confidence. It allows us to, to, to take those messages that we need to take to people. And that's what Elijah had here. But we also see this, this power of faith that he had and that he starts to order around this king, right? Look at uh, verse 19. Without really stopping after he, he says what he says to, um, to King Ahab, he says, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he is going to now challenge Ahab. And the challenge that he makes to Ahab is, I want you to gather all your prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah, and we're going to go to Mount Carmel. He doesn't say exactly what, what's going to happen just yet, but he is telling Ahab what he's going to do. And Ahab is actually going to follow his commands. 
Now, um, interesting how how this all works out because you would think that Ahab would. What are you talking about? What are you? No, I'm the king here. I'm the one in charge. But this kind of speaks to the sovereignty and the providence of God, right? This was going to happen because of what uh, of God's purpose in this, and so. Elijah tells Ahab to gather these and, in verse 20, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So he did what, uh, what Elijah asked him to do. In verse 21, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal then follow him. So the next thing that we see here, so we first see the power of faith, and now we see here a challenge from Elijah to the people there about who the people will follow. There's uh, two interesting things that I think that we can, we can see from this. The first thing, um, now Ahab has gathered all the people there and all the prophets, um, but uh, Elijah here is really speaking to the, the people of Israel that are there in this particular circumstance. And he asks them a question. And he says, and it's a very simple question that first, the, or the first part of it, is how long? Right? How long? The, and he continues with that, will you go limping between two different opinions if the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. So question is, how long are you going to be someone who is undecided and uncommitted and who you are going to follow, right? How long are you going to be someone that uh, will not commit to follow God and even uh, apparently will not even commit to following Baal? So to a certain degree, kind of trying to straddle the fence, you know, maybe, uh, if we look at it today, maybe we might look at it as someone who is a Christian on Sunday, and then when they get back into the world, into the world on Monday, there's someone different, right? Um, that doesn't work, all right? The, the idea of straddling the fence of, of, as a Christian, all right, and I'm not going to speak to, to anybody's personal salvation or anything like that. I'm, I'm not trying to judge that, but there really is not any straddling of fence as a Christian, right? You either follow God or you don't follow God, right? If you are one of those people that might be said of you that uh, I'm like a Christian on Sunday, but on Monday through Friday or Saturday, I'm someone different, then you're not really straddling a fence. You've kind of chosen a side, right? And uh, you probably have chosen the wrong side. But I think that this question that uh, Elijah asked of the people, how long, that word long is an important part of this, right? The history of the Israelites should suggest to those people that there is one true God there should be no doubt in their mind about there being one true God. Why would we say that? Well, let's go all the way back to when they were Egypt in slavery, 
right? And God brought them out through the Passover to the Red Sea where God took them across the Red Sea and the Egyptian army coming behind them and he swallowed up the Egyptian army uh, with the Red Sea into the wilderness where they suffered. Now, the, the experiences that we have with God uh, aren't always these happy, joyful, wonderful experiences. Sometimes we suffer, right? We're told that that is part of the deal in being a Christian and being a follower of God. Well, they had had their time of suffering. It was their own, uh, it was because of their own um, acts that they were suffering, but they had suffered. At the same time, God had provided for them, right? The manna from heaven, the water from rocks, Eventually, he took them into the promised land, just like he promised that he would, right? He took them into uh, that land. Uh, they had to cross another river. They get to the city of Jericho, right? And how did the city of Jericho come down? Did this great army go in and take over the, uh, the city of Jericho? No. Oh, and they in a way that only a sovereign God would decide to do, right? It's uh, all these soldiers. Now, let's remember, these soldiers are trained to be soldiers, right? And they're told, hey, just walk around today and tomorrow just walk around. And then on the seventh day, you walk around seven times and then shout and blow your trumpets. And then the city of Jericho come the walls come tumbling down and they take the city of Jericho. By the way, this is pretty amazing stuff, right? That happened to these people throughout their history, right? And Elijah says to them, how long is it going to take you to realize that there is one true God, right? And I, I think about, um, well, I'll just say, you know, even about myself, times in my life where I've, you know, not followed God the way that I should, right? How many sermons do we have to hear? How many times do we have to hear the Bible read? How many songs? How many uh, different experiences in our life do we have to go through before we fully commit to following God? It's a big question to ask. It's a big question for us to, to ask of ourselves, are we fully committed to following God or are we somewhat still trying to be in touch with the world in some way? Are we just playing religion? Where do we really stand? How long, what is it going to take for us to really fully commit to God? I think that's an important, uh, important thing that we should note here as Elijah is asking this question. The sad thing is the people did not answer him a word. The latter part of verse 21, and the people did not answer him a word, which is an indication they didn't really know, right? They had not made a decision to follow God or to follow Bell. Now, that's an important thing to, to understand when we look at why this happens, Right, because it is going to be laid out very explicitly why this happens. But the people did not answer him when he said to them, how long are you going to be between these two different opinions? 
Then he continues, Elijah said to the people, and, and again, I just, I, I just love this, this part of the story that Elijah is the one that keeps commanding, the one that is, keeps uh, putting the action forward, right? He's the one in, in charge here. Uh, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. All right, so Elijah is pointing out that he's one versus many, All right? It's an important thing to, to note here in this story. He's by himself versus many. Then he says, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So here is the, the, the challenge that is gonna be set forth by Elijah to the prophets of Baal, right? Here's what we're going to do. You're going to build an altar and you're going to take a, a bull and you're going to pray to Baal to get your uh, bull consumed by fire. And I'm going to do the same. And whoever's offering is consumed by fire, then that will show who God really is. I think that it's uh, interesting to note that when he brings this challenge to them, all the people answered, it is well spoken. Now, the prophets of Baal would have probably been um, kind of excited about this because Baal was the god of fire and lightning. So they would have been like, oh, fire, our god can do that. That's what he is, All right? Unfortunately for them, the, the God that they were going to go up against, the one true living God, had experience with this, right? Leviticus 9.24, um, when the Lord is accepting Aaron's offering, says, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Leviticus chapter 10 Two, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This was uh, the death of Nadab and Abihu. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 35, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Uh, this was not something that, that God had inexperience with. Of course, God can do anything and everything. He's omnipotent. But the prophets of Baal were probably looking at this as like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, this is kind of a good thing for us, right? I think that's why they so quickly agreed to it because of who they believe their God to be. So the challenge is set and Elijah goes to the prophets of Baal. Now he's already pointed out the disadvantage that he has and that he's one versus four, 450, right? 
Then he goes to the prophets of El in verse 25, says, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. So he's giving them first dibs on the bull. For you are many. There again, he's talking about the disadvantage that he has. And call upon your name and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. I want to point out one thing about Elijah saying, you know, I'm one versus many. Um, can God work with a disadvantage against him? Yeah, absolutely. How many soldiers did Gideon take after God said, you have too many? 300. How many did he start with? 22,000, cut it down to 300, right? 300 soldiers, and yet God said, that's enough for me, right? How about the greatest example of one, one who did for so many, the example of Jesus on the cross, right? Uh, there is no disadvantage with God. Right. And Elijah, I think he's, you know, he's kind of pointing this out. He's kind of saying, oh, it's just me versus, but he's going to get to a point in this where he's going to make it clear. No, it's not just me. No, it's not just me. But he's given the first dibs here. He's saying to the prophets of Baal, you go ahead and do this first. And there's so many of you. You go ahead and, and take on this and we'll let you go first. So we see the, the power of faith. We see the, the, the personal following. And now we're going to see the prophet's futility. Starting in verse 26. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Bell from morning until noon, saying, O Bell, answer us. So morning until noon, that's approximately, approximately six hours there they're talking about. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And this, that word limp there is kind of almost like a dance that they were doing as they were um, there around the altar. So they had started with just simply crying out uh, to, to Baal, and now they were kind of doing a dance and nothing was happening. And then this is the part where there's a little bit of humor in this, so there's a little bit of, uh, of Elijah kind of showing who Elijah is, but uh, still very, very interesting thing. He says to them, he mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. Yes, Elijah is saying that maybe Bell is in the bathroom. He's in the celestial toilet somewhere, right? Or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Now, there's a couple things here that, that I think is important. Um, when... Elijah saying, hey, listen, maybe you got to talk louder. Maybe you got to scream louder so that he can hear you because maybe he's busy doing something, right? 
or maybe he's asleep. Right? I think there's a couple things that, that we can know from that. One, I think that Elijah's just kind of humanizing their God to a certain degree here, right? He's kind of making them, uh, making this God seem very human. Uh, the other thing that I think we can note here is that there's a clear distinction in what our God and what the true God is able to do and what Baal, the false God, was not able to do, right? We don't have to worry about if our God is too busy for us. We don't have to worry about if our God is not able to do something for us, right? He's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he is everywhere, he knows all things. We don't have to worry about going to God and wondering if he's busy doing something else. No, he's there for us at every turn. But the prophets continued and it got even worse. They cried aloud and they began to cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And so uh, let's you know, kind of get a clear picture here. It wasn't like they were taking you know, something and just cutting themselves. You know, they just had a little scratch or something like that. Uh, this was mutilation that they were doing to themselves in order to get their God to listen to them. Right? Since the blood was gushing. Right? So this was no small little thing that they were doing. I think it's important for us to kind of come to an understanding here of the 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 prophets and what they were doing. And I don't mean this necessarily necessarily to be a positive thing about them, but I do think that it's important for us to note a few things about them. One, they're clearly dedicated, right? They are committed to their cause, right? They are willing, they, they start off with the prayer, right? And they're, they're going to pray to their God and they're going to, uh, to trust that he's going to bring uh, the, the fire, right? They're also energized, Right? They're doing this for hours. Right? And they go from the steps of crying aloud to dancing to starting to cut themselves. Right? So these are people that are committed to following their God. And even to the point where they would mutilate themselves. Now, that's important, I think, for two reasons. One is if you don't recognize the world we live in now and the people that are searching for some sort of God or following some sort of God or some sort of false God or false religion, and you don't see how dedicated and how energized and how far they are willing to go to express who they believe in, what they believe in, and you need to open your eyes. 
The evil that is in this world is coming out more and more and more and more. They're getting louder and louder and louder, right? They are dedicated. I think that if you, um, you know, I don't like to watch a lot of news and a lot of stuff like that, but if you look at the, the transgender movement that we're seeing right now, right? There's a group of people that are in this transgender movement and they are fully committed to making sure that you know about their movement and that if you don't believe like they believe, you're transphobic, you're a killer, all of these different things, right? And they're even willing to make the point of uh, what they believe in to mutilate, right? That's what's happening to these children that are becoming transgender, that these parents are taking to these doctors. They are mutilating them in the name of almost like this religion. Right? There's evil there, but boy, they're dedicated to it. They will stand on a street and they will scream at you about it. I saw something uh, recently about um, the Satanic Church had a big convention up in Boston. Did anybody see anything about that? There was video of this lady who I guess was one of the organizers and she had a Bible and she was ripping the Bible apart, right? Desecrating God's word doing it blatantly, willingly, happily, taking God's word and doing that. She was interviewed and she said, yep, I'm happy that I've done this. All right, and we, we are, we stand, we are behind this together as a group. Now, I remember as a kid, and I, that's even not that uh, long ago as an adult, that the satanic church was kind of something that was hid in the dark places, right? It wasn't something that was coming out into the light. But guess what? In this world that we're living in now, it's coming more and more prominent. What did we just have uh, with the, the news that's going on with Target, right? This, this stuff, this transgender clothing stuff that's going on. The guy that designed it is a proclaimed Satanist. Right? It is very, very, very clear, or should be very clear, that the enemies of God are loud, they're energized, they believe, they're willing to do whatever it takes. It's important for us to know that. It also makes me think about not that we go to those same extents, but how committed are we as Christians to our faith? How committed are we as we studied with uh, in June not too long ago to contend for the faith, to stand up for God's word in this world where evil, and if we don't, who will? If we don't, who will stand up and, and as, as this evil is growing, as more and more people are turning away from God, 
It's on us to show that commitment and that dedication. Not that I'm trying to compare us in any way. I'm just trying to, to make the, the point that, uh, you know, sometimes, especially in a, in a church like this, it's easy to kind of get into our little comfort zone in the church, right? And we're here together and we're all believers together. And, you know, we get in inside these walls and we have this great time of worship and praise together and we pray with each other and we study God's word. And then it kind of, to a certain degree, stops there. But are we committed to going out to the world to spread the gospel, to tell others? So the, the prophets of Baal are praying and, and doing all these things and midday passed, starting in verse 29, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. All of this was futile. Nothing came of this. It was useless. And ultimately, it was going to lead to their demise. But then we see the next thing, the prayer for fire. Starting in verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. He wanted them to gather around. He wanted them to see exactly what was going on. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So the, the altar that, that he was using was an altar that was previously used to worship the true God, right? It was not one of the altars of of Baal, there would have been a lot of altars up on, on that area. It wasn't one of those altars. It would have been an altar that had previously been used um, for the Lord, and he was prepare, repairing that, and he was going to use that. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. Now, I tried to kind of look that up and to, to kind of give a, an idea of what sort of measurement that would look like. And it was kind of hard to find. Um, but from what I could basically gather, the two seas of seed, a sea would have uh, been about three and a half gallons. And the idea here is, Two seas of seed would have been so seven gallons of seed spread out. The water that it would take to cover that is the, the basic measurement. I also saw something about 1,200 square feet uh, would have been maybe a measurement of, of what was being built here. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And then... He put himself in more disadvantage, right? Of course, that's not something that scares God or worries God. But he says, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So, if you want to start a fire on something, what is the last thing that you're going to put on that item, whatever you're going to start a fire on to make sure that the fire burns? What's the last thing that you're going to do? Yeah, so, and not just 
put water on it, soak it in water, right? Fire and water don't mix. They don't go together. The water will put out the fire. But Elijah has them fill up the pitchers and the, the pitchers probably, you know, are fairly big, probably more like barrels. Uh, he had them do four of those three different times to the point that the water was coming off of the altar and going into the trench. And then at the time in verse 36, at the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And we're gonna come back to that just a second. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, this is, a, this is an important thing here to, to see. Because what happened here when the fire came down wasn't just the bull that got burnt or the wood. I think that we can understand the, the bull and the wood getting consumed. But what else was consumed? The stones. Go out here, find yourself a few stones, set them on fire, sit down and wait for those stones to burn and be consumed by that fire and see how long it takes you, right? Go out and build you a trench filled with water and put fire on top of it until all the water is gone and the fire's all that's left. Good luck getting the fire started, first of all, on the water, right? But the... Uh, the power that God shows here, not only just the offering, not just the bull, but the whole entire thing, including the water and the stones, completely consumed, showing the, the power that God has. And so why was this done? Well, we see the purpose found for this going back to uh, verse 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. The whole point of this challenge that Elijah had laid out to Ahab was not necessarily to beat the prophets of Baal. The purpose of this was so that the people would turn back to God. That's why this was done. But it wasn't just that they turned back to God, but that you have turned their hearts back. He's saying, God, you're going to show that you are the one that turned their hearts back, right? The prophets of Baal did 
so much to try to get the attention of their God, right? They spent hours doing all this stuff to try to get the attention of their God. And yet, just like that, God got the attention of the people that were there. And I'm grateful for that fact that even in our lives now and in my life, that God got my attention one day, all right? Because as much as I might search, as much as I might try to do to, to get to God or to get to a God or be involved in some sort of religion, you know, I think most people try to have some sort of morality or religion or spirituality in their life, right? And they try to do something that makes them seem that they're a good person or that other people might think that they're good people. And we can do all those things to try to get attention and doesn't do us any good. It's futile. But thank God that he did something that grabbed our attention. I'm thankful that God did that. And in this situation, he did this thing. And we know that it worked because when the people saw it in verse 39, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So the purpose of this was to bring the people back to God. Those that should have known, but it's still fallen to away. It's still gotten to the point where they were not following God as they should. God brings a man, Elijah, to bring this challenge to them so that they could see once again that he is God and that that work would turn them back to him. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that there are, there are times in life where God does things when we get off track a little bit that brings us back, right? Um, I'm thankful that there are people that are examples who, you know, I think about um, my mother. Um, my mother, you know, I'm, I'm 48, so I guess from the time that I could really understand uh, God and Christianity and that sort of thing, so for maybe 43, 44 years, something like that, um, I've never seen anything but faithfulness from my mother. Nothing but that. And I'm so thankful for that because there is that constant example of the faithfulness, of the trustworthiness in God. Um, even as I and my brothers would sometimes stray, right? She was always so steadfast and so solid and such an example uh, for us. And I'm, I'm grateful that there are, there are examples of people, that there are, there are times in life where God shows me something that I need to be shown so that I can get back closer to him, so that I can be in the right relationship with him that I need to be in because left to my own devices, I'm going astray, right? Our sin nature wants to kind of, you know, the Bible tells us we prefer the dark over the light. But I'm grateful that there are, there are times, there are situations and circumstances, God says, come on back. 
see that I am still here. And so the people saw it and they once again proclaimed the Lord, he is God. And then we finally see in verse 40, we see a punishment fulfilled. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And he slaughtered all of them. He didn't leave any of them. They were all killed. Now, uh, when, the, when the Jews went into the promised land, what was one of the things that they were commanded to do when they went to the promised land? They were told to kill everyone. Why were they told to do that? What was the, the concern? They were, they were idol worshipers, right? They were, they were pagans and God did not want them to, to, to mix in with that. The idea here is that if we leave sin, if we leave the opportunity for sin there, right, then there's a chance that it's going to grow and there's a chance that it can take over, right? Um, if you were to go into the doctor's office tomorrow and they said, well, you, you have a growth and the doctor said to you, now we can remove the whole thing and you'll be fine, but we're only going to remove 80% of it. We're only going to get rid of some of it. What would you think about that doctor? Probably wouldn't think too highly of him, right? Like, no, let's take it all out, right? Let's get rid of all of this so that I don't have to deal with that. I think that this is uh, what we see here in Elijah getting rid of all of these prophets of Baal, right? When sin is there and you know that sin is there, then our objective should be to try to get rid of all of that sin. Now, that is not to say that we are not going to still sin, and that is not to say that we're not sinners, because we are. We're going to fail, and we're going to mess up, and we're going to uh, fall short of what we should do. But the idea is that when we notice that, that there's sin in our life, whatever it may be, if we just say, well, you know, I'll get rid of some of it, but I'll leave a little bit over here. Guess what? You're going to go back over and you're going to find that little bit and it's going to grow and it's going to be there. So Elijah's going to get rid of all of them, just like the, the people of Israel were supposed to when they went into the promised land. Did the people of Israel do what they were supposed to do? No. And what happened to them? They started turning to idols and they got into trouble. And, you know, uh, exactly what uh, um, the concern was happened to them. So we have this wonderful story here from uh, about Elijah and this challenge that he has with the, the prophets of Baal. And I think that the, the big picture in this is the faithfulness that Elijah showed to God 
but the faithfulness that God showed to Elijah as well and the power that he, that he exhibited and the, the purpose of, of having this happen so that people would turn back to God. And that's what happened. So for us, this one man with his obedience to God was able to make a difference. What does that tell us about ourselves? Can one of us make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. You may not make a difference to 450 false teachers, but you can make a difference to maybe one other person, maybe more. If each one of us committed to following God in, in faithfulness, how effective could we be as a group sitting in this room, as an entire church in spreading the gospel to this community? If we all committed as Elijah did, if we trusted and we had the faith and the confidence, how, what could we do? I think that the, the lesson here is we could actually could have quite an effect on people, not because of what we do, but because of what God could do through us, right? That we get the opportunity uh, to, to help spread God's word. Of course, we're commanded to do that. Last thing, and then I'll, I'll close. And I, I meant to mention this, but I'll... When Elijah goes to, um, goes to God. What is the first thing that he does? So he starts to pray, right? The, it was not the last resort that Elijah went to in order to get God to uh, bring the fire down. It was the very first thing that he did. When life comes at you, when there's difficulties, when there's troubles, when there's challenges, what's the first thing we should do? Let's go to God. Go to God in prayer. Go to God in his word, right? Shouldn't be the last thing that we try to do because he can take care of it. And he did in this situation. I hope that you got something out of this tonight. I hope that we... Uh, that will determine to be like Elijah and have that faithfulness and that obedience uh, and that trust in God. Mm -hmm.